Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwald. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Today we're just going to meditate, though. We're going to do it public. We're going to do it sweaty balls, public broadcasting style today. We'll just do it in a real... Meditation only. Real chill asmr voice. So winter is hanging on Eliana Johnson in Washington, D.C., but the signs of spring are breaking forth. And my least favorite sign of spring, guaranteed sign of spring, are the seasonal bicyclists. Oh, I actually have noticed that because I've almost hit several of them. Bicycling in D.C. is like the gym everywhere in America in January. That's what happens in D.C. in the spring is all of the people, young people mostly, who say, you know, this year I'm going to start biking to work. And they say it, and it's a lot of young women, and they say, this year I'm biking to work. And D.C. has the capital bike share, the tyranny of capital bike share, the red between those guys and the scooters, I, I can't. The appropriately Soviet red bikes that ride around the yeah. city. And today, you will appreciate this. A young woman. Now, where do you ride? Where, where, where are you supposed to ride a bicycle in the city? Sadly, we have bike lanes. Yeah. We have gone to extraordinary trouble to have lanes for bicyclists to ride in. And for the guys who I, I used to know a guy who was really upset the fact that motorcycle riders had gotten the term biker and that it really should have been bicyclists who were known as bikers. So he would use it incorrectly. But cyclists who are like the kind of guys who wear compression shorts to work know how to use the bike lanes and do all that stuff. But in the spring, as these people arrive, as the, as the, as the people who will – in three weeks realize riding my bicycle to work is dangerous, scary, and I get to work, I look like I've just ridden a bicycle through traffic in Chinatown. <laughs> and today I was I I was very nearly run over by a young woman with earbuds in having a, a conversation with someone riding her Capital Bike Share bike down the sidewalk like a busy rush hour morning sidewalk, just zooming right down there. And she's like, yeah, and I don't know what time we're going to be there as people are diving out of her way. So I today, like the like the swallows returning to Capistrano, like the first Robin, the basic DC girl on a Capital Bike Share bike, diving out of the way is the sign that you know that spring has sprung. Well, on a different topic, I was on our friend Megan Kelly's show yesterday, so for anybody interested, we actually covered some of the topics that we're going to be covering today, which brings me to our front page. Nice pivot. Yes. I'm just over here working it, working it, pivoting. Brings me to our front page. At the top of it is the New York Times article, Inside the Panic at Fox Fox News after the 2020 election by Peter Baker. And Chris, you were a central player in this. Do you want to, maybe you can summarize it and I'll opine. Well, I think, you know, the I wrote a piece about this for the dispatch on Monday about my old boss, Bill Salmon. And my, my favorite part of this stuff, and you know, I've been, this has been Groundhog Day for me because you know, basically a two-month period of my life, a two- or three-month period of my life has been in the news and a big story now for years. And I, frankly, it's exhausting. And I, I appreciate all the good wishes and good things that I've heard, but it also feels like this. there's, there's a this-again component. But something that was different this time and important to me was that Bill Salmon, my old boss, the Bill has never spoken publicly about any of the stuff that went on because Fox originally lied and said that. Well, can we summarize, can we summarize the article and then get to the bill? You you summarize, you summarize. Essentially the article, and then I'll turn it to you for the 
Bill Salmon part. The article captures the blowback in at Fox News against the Bill Salmon, Chris Steyerwalt decision desk Arizona call, which the Trump campaign and Trump supporters vehemently opposed. And it does capture how Rupert Murdoch and Fox News CEO Suzanne Scott and Fox News anchors like Brett Baer and Martha McCallum really pushed back against that call, at times wanted to retract the call, and ultimately Bill Salmon first and then Chris Steyerwalt second were fired because of that call and essentially were scalps to wave in front of the you know MAGA supporting audience to say, we get it, we hear you, we screwed up. And the article captures like the enormous panic that they were losing Trump supporters to Newsmax. And we've talked about all of that before. But I think what this article gets at is the extent to which the news side, the Brett Bears, the Martha McCallums, and along with the leadership over there, Suzanne Scott and Rupert Murdoch, took issue with that Arizona call because of the blowback. And what I was really struck by was... That call was controversial, and when this was tweeted, when the article was tweeted out, a lot of the a lot of data gurus on Twitter were saying, "Well, the call was wrong, and this and that. It, it was it was called too early." But those weren't the ar- the arguments actually marshaled against the call inside Fox News. It wasn't on technical grounds. It was the Trump people are mad. The, uh, Bill Salmon, after the election week, took a vacation, and because he's cool like that, and while I was terrified and freaked out and whatever, like, you know, what do we do now and what's going on? And I, 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 I was, I was being fretful at least. Bill was like, all right, vacation, peace. I assume it was a yes cruise. Bill loves the band. Yes. But whatever it was, he went, he went away on vacation. And then as soon as he got back from vacation, they had this big meeting. And this is the meeting that Peter Baker at the New York times got a hold of. And it was basically trying to get Bill to and we know that by this point they had already decided to fire bill right and i i don't remember the timing of when they decided to fire me but it was you know i assume by this point they'd already decided to fire me but whatever not germane they had already decided to fire bill but they have this meeting where basically they're going to try to get bill and arnon mishkin to say yeah we were wrong right what they basically want them to say is we were wrong and that would make it even better for them. That would make the scalp more valuable because it was Rupert Murdoch when he said to fire Bill in the emails, what's the line? I want to get it right. He said that it would, that would send, quote, a big message with Trump people, which was why to get rid of Bill. And so this was, I, I don't know what the real purpose was, but subtextually it seems like let's get him to say that it was a mistake. And here's what I, I've heard. I've heard Nate Cohn at the New York Times and others say that, oh, the call was too early and they just got lucky and all this stuff. Number one, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know all of the reasons why this remains an obsession for some people who were competitors. And I'm, I'm not going to ascribe motives to people, but it doesn't matter because here's the thing. Let's say that was true. It's not, but let's say it was true. Should Fox have taken that call down that week? Let's say right. Nate. Let's say Nate Cohn, who is not right, was correct that we did not have the statistical wherewithal to make the call as we did. The can you imagine what would have happened that week if Fox News had been like, well, you know that Arizona call that everybody's so upset about while the presidency still is dangling? If Fox had said, taking it back, never mind. Now, of course, it would have been extra stupid because we would have gotten to be wrong twice, right? We would have taken it down and then put it back later, which would be pretty preposterous. But number two, what would that have done? How would January 6th have looked differently? How would the events of the intervening weeks and months look differently if Fox in that moment had cast enormous doubt on the outcome of the election at that crucial moment? And what if Bill had given into the idea that we're going to stop calling races altogether? The whole point at Fox, and this is what I wrote about about Bill, was the my father, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but my father's old saying, 
the time to decide whether or not you want to kill a deer is before you go hunting, right? When you set out to do something, to be a journalist, to do a podcast, to be a parent, to be whatever, you know that there are hard things that are going to come with that choice later on, right? If you decide that you want to go deer hunting, you know that at some point you're going to have to pull the trigger and kill a deer. I've done it once in my life and I will never have to do it again because I am a, a squishy, softy person and the, the I've killed innumerable birds in upland hunting and a, a, a handful of waterfowl in my life. But the, the warm, sweet eyes of a doe are, are simply too much for me. So I know not to go deer hunting, right? I know that that's not something that I'm, I am prepared to do. Bill Salmon, and funnily enough, a pescatarian who's never been hunting in his life. He's the, he's the tallest pescatarian I think I've ever met. But that Bill knew what I know what you know, which is if you set out to be a journalist, you are going to eventually find yourself in positions where you have to do things that your audience will not like, that will cost you, in order to be the person who you set out to be, you're going to have to do things that are going to make your life uncomfortable and will not please your reader or will make your boss mad or will make your fellow reporters mad. You have been in the situation working in the White House press corps, doing the stories that are right, that you see as right probably sometimes made you less popular with your peers in that room. And you being a good, a, a stalwart person did it anyway. Also, you're full of mischief. But the, that's, that's the, the implicit contract with the audience in the news business. And if, I don't want to overstate it, but if it had not been for Bill Salmon, the story of the aftermath of the 2020 election would be different. And he got fired for it. And that was very extremely crappy. Okay. Did you want to plug your piece, The Deer Hunter? That's what we were just, okay. that's why we're talking did you about. Plug, did you plug your piece with the link? We're going to put have it in our newsletter? Yeah, you should absolutely read about the deer, okay. about the deer that okay. Bill Salmon shot. All right. That, but that is but the beginning of our Fox News segment because oh, yeah. we have the Tucker tapes. These are the, mm -hmm. the, this is the footage of January 6th that Kevin McCarthy Handed over to Tucker Carlson. What the liberal media didn't yeah, want you to see. coverage of it. Chris, what is your take? Have you tuned into this? Well, no. I just saw the first part where he opens by saying, imagine this. We've talked many times before about the failure of control at CNN, but particularly at Fox where the anchors, especially the opinion anchors, primetime anchors, just are out of hand. So your company is facing a massive lawsuit that is not an existential threat, but a crippling kind of financial blow. And you're taking it in the teeth in the court of public opinion. You are day after day deluged with reporting about, and of Tucker Carlson specifically, of him lying to his audience, right? Of him very explicitly, I hate Trump. I despise the man. I hope he goes away. I'm sick of dealing with him. This is awful. And then not, not reflecting that to his audience. So you have all of this going on. What is the last thing that you would want your 8 o'clock anchor to do? Go on television and raise doubts about the election, right? To begin the whole narrative by saying, well, we no." he said something, I forget what it is, but it's like, you know, no reasonable person. Oh, here it is. Thanks to Colin Chicola. The 2020 election was a grave betrayal of American democracy, given the facts that have since in, emerged about that election. No honest person can deny it. Come on. Right. So if you have your anchor, th this is a to to channel Yuval Levin for a second. That may be good for Tucker Carlson to try to restore his brand and keep his audience attached to him. But is that good for Fox News? Certainly not. Nor is it good for the Republican Party, for Kevin McCarthy to have created this situation, but it's good for Kevin McCarthy. So this is a, a very clear point about individuals serving themselves and not the institutions that they profess to be part of. And so just the fact, the very fact that they let Tucker Carlson do this at the moment that he did it tells you that they have, they do not have operational control of their own network. I think I... I 
I have a slightly different take because I think you're conflating two things. One is the de- the raising the doubts about the election. The other is the handling of the January 6th tapes. I, I agree with you about the raising doubts about the election, particularly in light of the Dominion lawsuits. On the on the January 6th tapes, I find it odd, and we, we talked about this on Megyn Kelly's show, that this is, you know, the tapes and the new footage that he has. Some of it's interesting. Some of it's not his take on it, I think, is wrong, and I'll get to that. But he he has, like, some exclusive footage, and he's covering it. But normally, like, the whole channel would be covering some exclusive thing. And instead, you had Brett Baer do one segment on it that was like, Mitch McConnell is decrying Tucker Carlson's January 6th coverage, and otherwise it's crickets all over the network. And so what you're really seeing on Fox is, like, a house divided. Yeah. And that just would have never happened before. Like you would have had instead the entire day side playing clips of Tucker's exclusive if that's really how they felt. But instead, you can totally see these two sides pitted against each other. That being said, I do find his attempt to say what happened on January 6th wasn't that bad. Because here, look, the guy's just walking around the Capitol. Even if that were true, like... You know, I sat on the, I was at the couch. It it was during COVID. You know, I was at the, I was on the couch in my house watching the footage on television and it was alarming just to watch from a distance. Yeah. But to try to say that somebody, you know, breaching the Capitol and disrupting the proceedings of Congress when they should not have been doing so is not that bad. Characterized, well, the reason I I started on. And like disrupting the certification of an election is. Absurd. It, it It is reminiscent of the, oh, the protests were mostly peaceful. I start I started on, well, and, th- and that's exactly what it is, right? It's riot envy. They can do it. Black Lives Matter can do it. So MAGA can do it. If they can do it, we can do it. And that's sick. That is an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. And, but it, it is victimhood envy. It's riot lust. It's disgusting. And I started with the election denialism for this reason. He was saying that they had a point, right? He what he was excusing. Right, right. I get I get how you got there. He was excusing. He was saying like, well, given what we know about the election, it's no wonder that this guy pooped in Nancy Pelosi's wastebasket, and it's no wonder that they were smashing in the windows of the Capitol, and it's no wonder they were beating police officers with an American flag. And I will also say that. The police officers who were acting as tour guides, they were engaging in diversionary tactics. They were understaffed. There's, there is a reasonable criticism to be made, and it will never happen again, by the way, because now the Capitol it will, will always and forevermore be a hard, hardened target, and this we will live it just like the White House used to have an open lawn, and you could drive up and down Pennsylvania Avenue, and now it is a fortress. The Capitol will now be a fortress. But yes, there's a reasonable argument to be made that the Capitol Police and the leadership in Congress should have done more to have been prepared for things to to go wobbly. But then again, much as with the Black Lives Matter comparisons, the whole point about this gathering was that it was supposed to be different from that, that we don't riot, right? We don't do these things. So they assume that a group of older suburbanites who had come to hear Donald Trump play his hits were not going to come and storm the Capitol. So there were, there's a, there's a reasonable argument to be made about lapses in preparedness, but the, the slander that the police were giving tours when what they were trying to do was divert and distract and lead them into safe spaces or lead them away from, lead these rioters away from where the members of Congress and Mike Pence were, that's awful. And, the, you know, at some point, this, this is sort of the way I figure it. At some point, Fox will have to let Tucker Carlson go. At some point, and I don't know when that point is, but at some point, they'll have to let him go. And you know what will happen when they do? He will go and compete with Ben Shapiro and The Blaze and that part of to try to squeeze $6 a month out of as many of his audience as he can. And Fox News knows it, that when Tucker leaves, and the best thing for Tucker, of course, would be to get fired, right? That he gets fired. He's a martyr to the cause of trying to tell the truth 
about the lizard people who control Congress and that he goes and gets his new platform and makes $100 million. All right, Chris, up next, we've got our semaphore bucket here. First, a piece <laughs> by semaphore, and then do-do-do, some, some issues at semaphore. Ben, so ben Smith. ben Smith at semaphore reports on conflicts of interest at the Post that I don't think are a very big deal. On but Friday, February in. 24th, for Washington Post, executives cross town to meet Republican National Committee Chairwoman Rana Romney McDaniel to discuss hosting a Republican presidential debate. It's a complicated subject because Republicans often demonize outlets like the Post and because the Post and other mainstream outlets will likely refuse to partner with Fox News, Republican voters preferred outlet. But the morning meeting was constructive and nobody issued ultimatums. Then as it drew to a close, Post publisher Fred Ryan asked his colleagues, editor-in-chief Sally Busby, deputy national editor Phil Rucker. I didn't know that he was deputy national editor now. Congratulations, Phil Rucker. And Chief Communications Officer Kathy Baird to leave and meet him in the lobby. Then he began a second meeting with the Republicans on the same subject, but in a different role. Chairman of the board of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library Foundation. Don, don, don. I mean. Are you suggesting that rich and powerful people are rich and powerful? And that they are in positions of influence. I don't know. Also, how powerful? Like, who cares? He doesn't seem to have so much power. Well, I, I look. It's. I think it's weird. I think it's weird. It is weird and lame. And you know, come back on your own, Fred Ryan. Are you so busy? You can't come back for your own meeting as chairman of the. And it's a weird flex. It's a weird flex where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah meet me in the lobby. Yeah, it's Chris, it's lame. Chris, could you leave and? You so you can do this next. Meet me item. in the lobby afterward. I have to talk with Colin and Nate and Nate Sweater here. Sweater game. I, we're, I, I'm sorry, winter's drawing to a close so that Nate's sweaters will soon soon fade. But like, like, like a city bike hurtling down a sidewalk, Nate's sweaters are going out strong. Okay, but of way more interest are maybe the conflicts of interest at Semaphore, which is collaborating with a CCP think tank. And Axios is reporting on this. The Free Beacon has done a ton of reporting on it. I would say for a week it was of interest only to the conservative media. But it is now of interest in the mainstream media because it should be of interest, which is the CCP penetrating media outlets, U.S.-based media outlets. So they are partnering with a CCP. I mean, everything in China is CCP. So with a Chinese think tank to do events in China. And Axios tells us, the collaboration is notable because the organization Semaphore is partnering with and it's has because the organization Semaphore is partnering with as well as its leader has a track record of misleading western audiences about its affiliation with the CCP. Wow, shocker. And the load of BS that Semaphore CEO Justin Smith serves up we're entering this endeavor with our eyes wide open, and yeah. we welcome the scrutiny that comes with it. We oh yes, it. we are so thrilled about our collaboration with the Chinese Communist we Party. Welcome the scrutiny because money. Welcome the we scrutiny. We aren't under the illusion that Chinese business leaders or other local groups operate independently of the Chinese Communist Party. And the best tweet was that you know Axios it takes advertising money from TikTok, so maybe don't throw stones at glass houses. But I will say. Like putting TikTok advertising in your in your newsletter, I think it's distasteful to take their money. However, it is different than partnering on programming in Beijing with this a Chinese gro- Communist Party think tank. This seems gross, but whatever people people do, money is very popular. But uh, you know what I'm going to have to do because it's Axios. They they gave me my favorite. They gave me a be smart. So here's how you can be smart. The speech and activities of Chinese Communist Party link groups are strongly influenced by yes, Beijing. Yes. There you go. Now you're smart. Dummy, you didn't know what China is. It should just say, like, China is a country in Asia. Be smart. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Axios. Exactly. Up next, we have our Ron DeSantis bucket. You want to hit this a first? bucket of meatballs. This first item, Chris. Although, I say, he's, he's looking very slender. You like it? Well, I mean, he's looking quite I, slender. You know that I'm pro meatball. Yeah, not at all meatball What Meatballs are delicious. What are we against meatballs? Not meatball Okay, so Ron DeSantis, did you watch his any of his press conference or highlights from his press conference? No, I actually listened to his interview with Ben Shapiro. How did that go? Uh, he was fantastic on Ben Shapiro's podcast. I would say 
he was much better in that podcast interview than he was in his speech at the Reagan Library, which came the day after. Yeah, it was a little. It was a little. It, it was fine, um, but he was fantastic in this Ben Shapiro interview. I think people who are interested in DeSantis should go listen to it. And what struck me was that in the speech at the Reagan Library, where he's behind a lectern and in front of a big crowd, he's less good at introducing himself to people who may not know him and kind of painting a biographical picture of who he is than he is in just conversing with somebody and like, you know, talking to somebody who he knows agrees with him. And I think that's going to be the challenge for him, but it's totally surmountable. And in fact, there are political professionals you can hire who help you like paint this picture and introduce yourself to people. But, but he was really excellent in the Ben Shapiro interview. Oh my gosh. Michael Beschloss, Described Ron DeSantis as a little Mussolini. That way you got to oh, call yeah. him little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's little. I mean, how tall? How tall is Ron DeSantis? He's I, not short. I can't remember. I don't but remember. He's not tall. He's, he's maybe five ten. Yeah. Okay. So he's like average height. He's average. A little Mussolini. That's. I don't know how. That's. That's very. That's that. Just embrace the meatball. The so DeSantis in this press conference did two things effectively. Number one. So Which press conference was this? This for? is Sorry. the Bookman hoax. Okay. This is where he had the big, he, his podium had a huge sign on it exposing the Bookman hoax. And it was effective in, so much discussion. There, there are lots of legitimate concerns around the regulation of speech in schools at the state level and about curtailing free speech and or can, curtailing academic freedom. As I always have to remind myself, free speech and academic freedom are two separate things. And there are serious concerns and curricular concerns and all of that stuff. So I'm not pretending that this is not a serious issue. But the characterization of the of Ron DeSantis book banner was a sort of a lazy little Mussolini kind of trope that was out in the press. And then so DeSantis held a press conference and started holding up the books that were banned from the list and the TV networks had to cut away because decency laws would not forbid them, would forbid them from showing the book. So it was a it was a stunt, but it was an effective stunt, right? He showed them. It was like, okay, these are the books that we're not allowing to be in the schools, and it's this one, and this one, and this one, and and they had to they had to cut away. So that was effective. The other thing that DeSant, it's it's interesting how DeSantis has been counter programming. You mentioned the Reagan Library, while Trump is doing CPAC, and it's. A, you know, whatever. It's a it's a kooky speech, and the the venue is not rocking. Santa DeSantis intentionally goes to the mainstream, right? He doesn't do CPAC. He goes to the Reagan Library, and talks to the sort of traditional Republican Party. And the other thing that he does is so. There's a you will not be surprised to learn that Florida's legislature sometimes to our to our YouTube audience. I'm I must refresh my parking. Refresh your parking. The you will not be surprised to hear that sometimes Florida's legislature, a state where occasionally people try to commit armed robbery with an alligator as their weapon, it's happened, you can look it up, that Florida's legislature sometimes proposes some cuckoo bananas legislation, much as my own West Virginia, as, as lawmakers in my own West Virginia might do. But they had a bill that would regulate bloggers <laughs> in Florida, which given the First Amendment gobbledygook legislation that DeSantis actually signed about social media was not an unreasonable question whether DeSantis would accept, endorse a law that required bloggers to register with the state and file frequent reports with the state as to their blogging activities in order to be licensed Florida bloggers. DeSantis knocked that down and said, I'm not going to do that because this is indicative of the straddle that DeSantis has to face. How does he keep enough of the culture warrior part? So, you know, and I'll, I, I will try to keep this as brief as I can. Oh, I will try to keep this as brief as I can, which is there are conservatives and there are right-wingers. There are people who are culturally conservative and want and are willing to use government authority to try to engineer social outcomes that they think will be better for families and better for, and I'm not questioning their motives. Then there are conservatives who are in the traditional conservative, small government kind of mold, the Madisonian Democrat kind of blah, 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 blah. So 
that's the tension. That's always the inherent tension inside the Republican Party. And DeSantis is trying to take a little out of column A and column B. And this was a week where he went to column B, right, where he went to Reagan, talked about the First Amendment, the need to protect the First Amendment. So watching that. And by the way, his playing of the media, this this is where he reaches the test, right, because he's built this reputation as a boogeyman with the left wing media and the mainstream press that Ron DeSantis is, you know, who did we, Molly Jong Fast, was it last week we talked about saying, yeah, yeah. you can't cover Ron DeSantis like a normal Republican. So having built that, now can he trade on it in a way that will be effective? And I thought this was an effective press conference. What do we have next? Oh, yes. I, this is a new subbeat for me. Woke, question mark. What is it? Question mark. How does it work? Question mark. What is woke? So this is, we had... Was it the Washington? I assume the Washington it was, Post. I assume it was the Washington it was, Post. Republicans are attacking woke. They talk what about does that woke, even but mean? What is they it? don't what? even know. And then it was actually it has origins in black culture, and this is a racist attack that they've come up with. So the good people at Polyfact, uh, Politifact, Politifact, uh, <laughs> or Polyfact, Polyfact, whatever. That's that's for Sam Bankman-Fried's girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. That's right. <laughs> She's got her own fact Caroline checker. Ellison. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, She's got her yeah. own fact checkers, and Politifact does. A fact check on woke and what does it mean to be woke? And I want to tell you, it is the it is the most facile kind of journalism imaginable. Woke is ill-defined, Margie O'Mara. Hi, Margie, who's smart and good. A Democratic pollster and principal at GBAO, a Washington, D.C. research company, said, quote, woke raises an important polling conundrum. If there's no shared understanding of what a word means, can you still test it? Well, despite Republican efforts to make the word a rallying cry, voters in the American Teachers Federation Heart Research Poll say woke is not a top tier concern, either because of unfamiliarity with the word or because of a rejection of the divisiveness the use now represents. Well, let me tell you something, Pointer, or PolitiFact, PolyFact. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you something, PolyFact. Telling people that words do not mean the thing, things that they mean or that the definition of woke as offered by a poll conducted by Democratic pollsters for Democratic groups, this is a trap that they're leading Democrats into, right? This is a trap. What has to happen with the word woke for Democrats is that they too reject it, right? They have to say, I'm not. I am not woke. What I am is I care about people having equal protection under the laws in this country. But woke is not a word. You can you can try to die on the hill of progressivism, but you cannot you cannot try to keep woke. And these efforts to maintain what I don't know the the the, the feeling that they need the to keep it. Befuddlement about what these words mean, whether it's critical race theory and now woke. Yeah, yeah, guys, that went really well for you in the twenty twenty one Virginia gubernatorial election. Keep it up. Yes, and I also like that in each of these, the overlay of allegations of racism that yeah. right-wingers who use the term woke are appropriating a black term, yeah. and that's racist. And then attacking it. Exactly. That's so racist. Up next, we I have... Haven't, I haven't even wished you a, a happy Women's History Month Oh, yet. my gosh. I noticed that. Your struggle... Uh, your, I, I, I have not acknowledged you, you your that many struggles. Me I have not. I have, and so lots of lots of reporting mm -hmm. this week. It was International Women's Day, and and it and it is Women's History Month. So the amount of ladies journalism is through uh, rocking the Richter scale this week. Oh my gosh! Okay, up first we have CBS News reporting: two women leading the sports and business sides of the Miami Marlins are making history. We just have glass ceiling shattering everywhere. So one of the women, Ng, said, when a woman's in charge versus a man, quote, the leader takes a lot more crap. For Ng and O'Connor, the main focus is being a valuable member of the organization and earning respect day by day by showing willingness to get involved and work just as hard as everybody else. What in the hell did you think, like, just as hard as everybody? I don't, I, I am sure that this is a, a gender blind spot for me. I'm sure that is true. What would anybody do? What would any person do? I understand there are not that many. And by the they're way, they're just trying to help all the people out there who think that you are 
appointed to run an organization and you do that by working less hard than right. everybody the, else. The last place, when, when you have the privilege to run the last, well, probably the Nationals were very bad. So the second, the last place or second to last place NL East team, the idea, this, this is in the same category as the first woman to get to convene the conference call that declared a thunderstorm warning. You remember she, that? She was the first one to announce it on live television. She was the first thing. one to do it that she had. She was the one who convened the Zoom call that made the decision to make the announcement and how great it was. And the search for phony glass ceilings, like the first time, two women. So it's not that there's a woman who's doing these jobs in a sport. By the way, that is only for men. The mystery that CBS News expresses about how few women there are in in baseball, it is a sport that only men are allowed to play. Professional baseball is a male sport. Why would there be parity in – I don't understand why that would even be the standard. Oh, did and by the way – Speaking of baseball, I think we should not not go past the speaking of terrible coverage of sports, if you will excuse a brief return to the DeSantis. But if, if I can put the women Women's History Month bucket into Ron DeSantis month, Ron DeSantis bucket briefly, Kevin Blackstone, Washington Post, baseball can no longer ignore Ron DeSantis's culture wars. Well, they could if they wanted to. They, if they, they probably wouldn't have to try, but this is a call from Blackstone to Major League Baseball to pull spring training out of Florida because Ron DeSantis is a meanie. And it's, it is, look, I write columns. Sometimes you write columns about fanciful things, but the idea that this person is a sports columnist and takes his time and Everybody should write about whatever they want, but that he is, as a sports columnist, would take the time to say it's time for all of Major League Baseball to pull out of Florida and move someplace else so that they can punish Ron DeSantis was a real was a real doozy. But anyway, just it's just baseball. You can just let it be baseball. People can run the teams, not run the teams. It doesn't have to be. It's just it can be okay. The the lust for the Jackie Robinson moment in baseball is comparable to the way in which people today misunderstand the civil rights movement generally in America and generally misunderstand these and try to talk about appropriation, try to appropriate that stuff for current struggles and it's it's goofy. I want to know how you're going to transition from that to Afghan women. Well, there's real Good coverage going on. I, I, as a, as a, as a poo-pooer of the kind of identity politics coverage like that. How about kudos for the New York Times for a fantastically wrenching, moving piece about what has happened to women in Afghanistan since the Taliban was restored to power, and it is visually arresting, stunning. It is so well done, and it is just, it's just, it's exactly what the kind of stuff that the New York Times can do to use its its resources and platform to do so well. And it is when, if, if, if you're an American who is concerned about the lack of the number of teams with two women leading the front office, this is the real stuff, right? This, the, these are, the, these are the real wrenching challenges that, you know, other women face. So, like, be cool. And the photography is really amazing. So good. Really, really amazing. It's so good. Boo Taliban. Up next, we have... (laughs) Everything is awful. We have a low for the New York Times, which is (laughs) a a so-called expose on the, what it calls in a headline, the dirty little secret of credit card reward programs. I forget what the, in print, the headline was even more redonkulous. It was like, you know. No, that is that. Oh, no, no, oh the, in print. The print, I see. the print version was even more, it was like, you know, credit card companies hate the poor or I, 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 I'm, it's hyperbolic, but it's, well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, speaking of goofy, uh, this is it. The upshot of this piece is that credit card rewards, you know, benefit, the rich people who spend Wait. tons of money on credit cards. Are you are you serious? Newsflash. Credit card companies Newsflash. reward rich people who spend more money. 
differently than you know that poor points people? are actually allocated on credit cards based on how much know. money you spend, based know. on how much money you put. The next on them thing yet. you're going to tell me is that all these companies want to do is make money for their shareholders. Did you realize that that flight st- status? They should get to that next. Uh, when we find status out status on flights this, on with the spe- airlines. So speaking of being facile, this is a great example of it, it, it's the it's a finance professor from Stanford and two two Stanford per a Stanford professor and a Stanford graduate student. And there's an undeniable feeling of excitement when you turn your daily credit card swipes at Starbucks into first class airfare or a weekend jaunt to Costa Rica. Nah. Thanks to mobile banking and the ease of auto pay, you can scrupulously avoid any additional cost by paying your monthly bill in full. Free flights and exclusive discounts abound. Something for nothing, right? Not exactly nothing. No, you're just stomping on the poor and downtrodden. Credit card perks for educated, usually urban professionals are being subsidized by people who have less. In other words, when you book a hotel room or enjoy entry to an airport lounge at no cost... Poor consumers are ultimately footing the bill, by which they mean that perks that are described as perks are perks. What they mean is that the things that you get for being a desirable customer are financed by the high, the the worst deal that you get when you, it's like, it's the, it is, the, Facile does not even cover how willfully ignorant a person would have to be to to write this piece. What about over at the Washington Post? They are, are very headline. concerned. It doesn't matter who you are because nearly everyone is exposed to unhealthy levels of tiny air pollutants. And Study says. They write, yes, nearly everyone, 99% of the global population is exposed. And, and that 1%, I'm sure they're doing really great. You live in such a remote right. area that the, you're not exposed a to any, yak her, any. A yak herder yes. in Outer Mongolia is like... Yeah. Well, near at least no I'm not pollutants. like everybody else that the tiny air pollutants headline nearly everyone is exposed to unhealthy levels of tiny air pollutants comma study says the it is oh and of course here's the correction <laughs> a previous version of this article incorrectly said the EPA set its threshold for blah 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 the, and so they got they even got the standard wrong that they said that everybody was exposed to unhealthy levels they even got the wrong standard and the study from the Lancet, which is, I think, I think I can say a pretty radically left-wing kind of anti-progress situation. But the study is the finding. This is in the lead. The finding findings underline a growing urgency for policymakers, public health officials, and research to focus on curbing major sources of air pollution, such as emissions from power plants, industrial facilities, and vehicles. Let me tell you something. The air in America hasn't been this clean since the invention of the internal, since before the invention of the internal combustion engine. Our air is so clean and our water is so clean. The gifts of the, of the Industrial Revolution purchased the wonders of science and wonders of technology that allow us to have this beautifully clean air and it's clean and getting cleaner all the time. I am sure that if you live in a poor place in the world, air quality stinks, but treating this as if the situation in the United States is the same as it is in the industrial regions of China or India or Eastern Europe is wrong. You could also do a headline on this that says, oh, I know what, you could put the same headline on this that they did on the thing about rewards points. Rich people do it again. Rich countries yeah. in the world breathe clean, wonderful air, while people in poor countries breathe fetid air that is choked by pollution. So thanks for playing. And over at the FTC, we oh. have, yes, the FTC boss, Lena Khan turning the screw on Elon Musk, demanding he hand over information on layoffs. But also about journalists. Yes, and this is in the Daily Mail. The Wall Street Journal had a wonderful editorial about this, I yes. think this morning, Yes, saying that what is it the government's business, What how a private company is communicating with journalists? Well, the... the I could, I can, so Lena Khan, who is the crusading 30, 30, 
uh, head of the Federal young, Trade Commission, uh, extraordinarily young, and she was the it woman for the left. You know, all of these thirty four, all these fawning pieces written about her, and she's radicalizing the FTC to basically change the way it deals with antitrust, change the way it deals with everything, to be this super regulator. And it is, which what the FTC really does or has done is be a consumer protection agency. And she's trying to make it something different and more powerful. So Twitter had entered into, prior to Musk's purchase of Twitter, Twitter had entered into a consent decree, a legal agreement with the government approved by a court, a binding agreement in which they agreed to, to rules around the disclosure of user data. And under that consent decree, the FTC wants Twitter to turn over its communications with, I assume, Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss. Of course. Who they gave access to, to the Twitter files, to Twitter internal yes, stuff that, that were selected for them. They were given curated information, I assume, from Twitter, from Musk's Twitter, to talk about what was wrong at Twitter before. Now the FTC wants the communications between Musk and these journalists. They, they also want Twitter, I, I believe, did some research on the journalists before it decided who to give this to. And they want that, too. I mean, none of your damn business. And I will, I will allow that it is conceivable that Twitter violated the consent decree with its, the arrangement that it made. I, I'm certainly, I don't, it's, it seems unlikely to me. But it's certainly possible that the consent decree would have forbidden the kind of access that they gave because Weiss and Taibbi were acting in an unusual place. It happens, but in an unusual place where they got an exclusive and agreed to the terms around it. So it's conceivable that they could have violated the consent decree. But the overbroad, arrogant way in which the FTC is approaching this, this is what oversight is for. Right. This is where House Republicans should be stepping in and saying, wait a minute, what do you want and why do you want it? If you go clomping around journalists and what they're doing, do you remember when the Obama administration was in the quest to end leaks and Eric Holder was the Torquemada of leaks and they ended up yanking a bunch of reporters' phone Oh, phone this files. was the national security stuff where they, they wanted James Rosen's phone when he was right. at Fox. They pulled all of these reporters' uh, the phone AP, records. I remember. Yep. So they're, they're, they're yes. snooping in all of these phones to try to find a leak that's on their end. This definitely reminds me of that. And they should be, they, they if they have, I'm trying to be fair-minded here, if they have something that they want to know, they better be a heck of a lot more specific about it than just going on a fishing expedition like this. Oh, yeah. Other bad news for the Biden administration's regulators. Gigi Sohn, the has has the with the crazy glasses. Gigi Sohn, the controversial mul multiply nominated, poly nominated uh, <laughs> yes. member of the FCC. They have taken her after Joe Manchin said that he would vote against her. They've taken her nomination down and the FCC will remain basically deadlocked for the foreseeable future in a 2-2 tie. So sorry, fans of net neutrality. You'll, you will have to wait. That brings us to our personnel files, which we are doing in place of a style section this week. Well, they've got style. We have our friend Josh Krauschar. Congratulations to him. He is headed to Jewish Insider, like where he move. became editor-in-chief um, starting at the end of the month. And he is keeping a column at Axios. He went there from National Journal a few months back. So congrats to Josh. Be smart. Yes. Go to Jewish Insider. Yes. I think this is a so good. Congrats to Josh. I think that's a, a great move. And by the way, Jewish Insider has a good track record and is interesting. I, 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 I as a Gentile, am here to say, check it out. You do the next one. I really am pleased about this. Two of my faves out there. So Jeff Maurer is the guy, the I Might Be Wrong Substack newsletter that I've talked about here before. Comedy writer, liberal questioning a, a seeking and questioning liberal man of the left liberal more than progressive I guess I would say and my colleague and I hope friend Thomas Chatterton Williams here at AEI they have a new podcast called wrong think and it's and more of a question than a comment is the subtitle for it 
and I'm I'm very pleased about it. I've, I've listened to the first episode. And what I like about both of these guys is that they are liberals in the sense that I wish everyone would be, all of us would be liberals, which is open-minded uh, and to embrace the ideas of the enlightenment of free inquiry and free discussion and not be afraid to question orthodoxies and and to proceed in that framework. So these are these are two good ones and I'm pleased that they're doing it. Chris, that brings us to our obsessions of the week. Where we break down the stories we can't get out of our heads. And I had an obvious one. And that was Amber Athey's piece in The Spectator. Headline, Politico's <laughs> Banned Words. And this is such a spectacular piece of reporting. Her piece is about Politico, but I do think it captures so much of what's been going on in mainstream media newsrooms since 2020 about. And she writes about how... Politico's guidance to its reporters on covering trans issues. And I'm just going to read a little bit from the piece. She says, I obtained a copy of an email from Politico editors summarizing highlights from the seminar. That seminar, by the way, was led by three trans activists. So these are the people giving guidance and this, to their and this, journalists. This, this happened when? I believe it's 2021. Okay. Yes. So is this before Axel Springer has come yes, to town? Yes. Okay. Yes. So the it had three activists lead a seminar with their journalists on coverage of trans issues. The panelists informed reporters that what they consider the quote neutral position on transgender issues was probably created by quote white cisgender men and thus cannot be trusted to be accurate. Gendered Seems words. Reasonable. Gendered words, they said, can be rooted in, quote, exclusion and can actually cause trauma for transgender and gender neutral individuals. So the editors then send then she she then writes a style guide sent to staff in January 2022 reads more like a game of media matters, Mad Libs than a document for (laughs) journalists. It suggested some non-inclusive words that Politico reporters should avoid using in their work. They include mankind, man made, manhunt. Crack the whip. Person hunt. Waiter Wait, or waitress. Crack the whip is crack, out? Yes, because of slavery. Waiter or waitress. Biological gender. Biological sex. Biological woman. Biological female. Biological man or biological male. Illegal immigrant or illegal alien. Cakewalk because it originated during slavery and thus perpetrates racist motifs. In reference to illegal immigration, the terms onslaught, tidal wave, flood, Inundation, surge, invasion, army, march, sneak, or stealth. Anchor baby, chain migration. Were these adopted? Was this? Yes, this is their style guide. This is the, oh, that was. So maybe it's no, no, different now. It, uh, it is. Okay. I, I have friends there. Okay. Chris. Peanut gallery, because they were the cheapest seats often occupied by blacks and people with low incomes and third, what? World, third world countries. I'm sorry, peanut gallery? Yep. Because that's where the cheap seats were. That's the point about talking about the peanut gallery is that they're the cheap seats, that they are they are they are the hecklers in the peanut gallery because they're in the cheap seats. That's the point. We can't even say that anybody's poor or that some seats are better than others. Can you believe it? That is a So that is this a, is this is politics. This is not journalism. It's no cakewalk, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. And that was my obsession. That Over is, to you, Chris. Try to top that. That one. is a steaming pile and congratulations of obsession to Amber right on an amazing piece. That is something else. Okay, I at the grocery store, Northern Virginia Magazine, the front page cover. It's top docs. It has a guy who looks like he's about to check your prostate. So maybe find somebody who looks less menacing. But <laughs> anyway, second head, teens in crisis. Teens in crisis. And let me let you in on a little something about teens. Having been one, we're always teens are always in crisis. They're in crisis. But the the premise of this article, the premise of so much of the coverage around teens, and this is of course in the rock and roll era. This is in the drug era. This is in the every era, which is these damn kids. They're in crisis, and it's different from when we were kids. When we were kids, it was good and safe. And now with these kids, it's scary and bad. And I was really struck by, there was a story of a young man who took his own life, an extraordinarily sad story. 
and his and it was coverage of it was related to the disgustingly buzzy word of sextortion. Do you remember this? No. Okay, so it was a young man who had apparently been catfished or lured into saying or giving compromising images to a stranger online, and that stranger was threatening to expose him if he did not pay the blackmail money and goaded him eventually until he took his own life because he he would rather have been dead than pay this ransom or have these the the damning information come out and the father who and I am loath to criticize a person who has just lost a child I cannot imagine I and I thank God that I don't have to and it's very hard so I don't mean to be critical of this person who is going through something very terrible but he said these phones are killing our kids it's these phones and you can't ever leave your children alone with these phones and it's these phones and it's these phones this young man was in a place in his life that he didn't feel he could tell his dad what was going on. That's the other story, right? And I'm not blaming his dad. I don't know anything about the kid's situation. But being an adolescent is hard, right? And if you don't have good lines of communication and people don't feel like they can come forward and talk about how hard it is to grow up, that makes it even harder, right? Teenage suicide is always around. It's a, it's a sad truth that people who, who are young sometimes don't understand how short. It, I, I love they used to have a campaign. I think it was for gay kids, but it was called It Gets Better, mm. which is you're not that far from the end, right? When you're, when you're 17 years old, I remember feeling. Yeah, you'll get to college soon and yeah. where half the people are gay. Right. And it, or and it, everyone's gay. Or everybody's whatever. Whatever you want to do is whatever. I remember the feeling when I was 17 of like, I'll never get out of high school. Things will always be this way. I'm stuck here. And of course now, I was talking to a friend of mine who had to transfer school senior year. And it was March of senior year. And they thought the world was ending. And it, now, of course, you look and you're like, well, that's like two months, right? That's like two months of your life. That's eight weeks with weekends. And, you know, whatever, who cares? But when you're young, it seems like maybe it will never end. So this is just part of life. This is, a, this is part of it. But the, uh, the belief that somehow the situation now, and this goes to, by the way, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the coverage about depression rates mm-hmm. that are up, and Jonathan Haidt blames the Internet. And I'm not saying social media doesn't play a role, not at all. But what I am saying is that it's hard to be an adolescent and that teens are always in crisis. So here's a New York Post item. Headline is amazing. I pretended to be a 14-year-old boy on TikTok. What I saw terrified me, (laughs) writes Asia Grace. And Asia Grace says that teenage boys on TikTok are flooded with misogynistic, racist, sexual, and violent content, even when they don't go looking for it, a post-investigation found. I'm a woman in my early 30s, but I recently created four profiles for a fake 14-year-old boy named Jaden on TikTok and YouTube. My aim wasn't to use Jaden's profile to interact with other people online, but rather just to see what sort of content the algorithm dun, 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 fed him as if he was completely passive. And here is, I, I hate to be gross about this, but that would be like- I, I don't. I, I, I don't pre- hate for you to be gross. I pretended to be a 14-year-old boy wandering around a public park restroom at night. And you'll be surprised. <laughs> you'll be surprised what, what I was offered. You'll be surprised what I heard. Yeah. Parents have a different job now than they did before. But just please remember that nostalgia is a yearning for a past that never was. And there were, do you remember how afraid people were of television for us? Don't watch too, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. gosh. Okay, I'm here to, I just find this so funny because my parents who were very, you know, they pushed us. Yeah. But we never had curfews. We never had any limitations on like how much TV or oh, no. screen. To be clear, my TV parents were not oh, in the wait. category. My parents Whoa. were not in the category of limiting screen time. Yeah, no. That was my babysit. Here you go. We're yeah. enjoy enjoy solid gold followed by the Dukes of no, Hazard. No, it was like any any amount of television. I just we, we never had any of that. Oh, and also like we had any junk food that we wanted in our house, and it all turned out fine. The Thirstbuster, the three liter fine. Ghostbusters Thirstbuster of cherry coke on the counter to come in after playing wiffle ball and it's like how do i get 5000 calories into my body as quickly as possible go the i guess what i would just say is it's always there's 
we're always concerned about what is with the new technology and the new way of living will affect our children. It's reasonable to be concerned, but teenagers are people too. And you have to treat them as individuals with individual needs and this sort of moral panic stuff. If your kid is going on TikTok unsupervised, that's on you, right? That's you, that's that's your thing. If you have a kid who's trolling on TikTok all the time, you as a parent need to you you have you need to think about what's going on. So I would just this is against moral panic as it relates to teens. Teens are in crisis always because they're teens. Thank God it's a brief period of time. This has been parenting in 2023 there you uh, go. with Chris Steyerwald. Chris, that brings us to my favorite segment of the week, which is reader mail. And we got an amazing picture from Greatest Joe ever. in Chicago. Chicago, Joe, says, we love you. Subject, last night in a bar in Chicago. And he writes, I saw this in and thought of you. And it is writing on the wall that says, I grew deeply cynical about electoral politics after they discontinued the McRib. Woo! Do it. Thank you, Do Joe. It. Thank you, Thank jo you Joe. Chicago, Joe. You're you. I love you. I I like the thought that out in America there are people in bar bathrooms thinking of ink stained wretches. That's that's the correct location to think of us. And Tim in Boston had a little bit more to say. Tim writes, "Good morning, Chris and Eliana, hosts of the podcast that brings cheer to my Friday morning or disappointment when you make me wait until Saturday." I heard on the news this morning that dozens of protesters were arrested in Georgia for violently attacking cop attacking Cop City outside Atlanta. I heard the quick hit on the local news and went to the paper to learn more. To my chagrin, I find no story in the Boston Globe. Search the website and there's nothing. So I turned to the New York Times. Go to the website and what do I find? A riveting article about the polarization of a North, North Idaho college. I search the website and find that this attack against the police made the paper on page, A on page 20. Next, I go to the Washington Post, and what do you know? The story is on the website. You just had to scroll to the bottom of the homepage. The top of the homepage is reserved for the cartoonist of Dilbert fame. Now I've gone down the rabbit hole, so I want to see what CNN has to say. The top of the article describes the protest as such. Quote, the scrap came at the start of what protesters are calling a week-long, quote, mass mobilization at the forested site slated to host the $90 million 85-acre law enforcement facility that opponents say would propagate police militarization and harm the environment, unquote. What, what? CNN describes as a, quote, scrap occurred when, quote, the group changed into black clothing, went into the construction area, and threw large rocks, bricks, Molotov, Molotov cocktails, cocktails, and fireworks at police officers, destroying construction equipment, by fire and vandalism, the agency said in a statement, the illegal actions of the agitators could have resulted in bodily harm. Now, Tim writes, is it just me or is a violent attack by a large group of radical left wingers being covered by the media slightly differently than when the same thing is done by groups on the far right? Just an observation. Thank you for the great work. Man, I didn't even know about CNN's this. CNN's moving to the center, though. I didn't you even that, know. Right? I didn't even know about this story. Holy cannoli. That is Molotov cocktails thrown at cops. Oh, I'm going to read up on that. Thank you, Tim in Boston. So we we have Tim. You could be like a guest host. That was a that was very well done. That was very well done, Tim in Boston. Thank we got we got we got guys in the in the men's room in Chicago, but then we got Tim in Boston with his erudition to balance it out. And now we come to Chris's favorite time of the week. when I am forced to say something nice, and I am here to applaud the Wall Street Journal's continuing coverage of my chess beat. I know, which it's I your love. thing, yep. you're the grandmaster. They are turning the spotlight on a new drama, this guy, Alejandro Ramirez, and the headline is, how sexual assault allegations against a U.S. chess grandmaster went unaddressed for years. And so it's Me women. Too, Me Too has come to the chess world. The I had no idea. And are, what do you mean? And it's women. I, I had assumed maybe that it was a the molestation or something like that. When former U.S. women's chess champion 
Jennifer yeah, it is. It's a dude who Shahade did the assaulting. alleged on social media last month that she had been sexually assaulted by a prominent grandmaster named Alejandro Ramirez. She had no idea it would set off a yeah. broad wave of additional allegations. Mr. Shahade, Ms. Shahade said she was sexually assaulted twice by Mr. Ramirez, one of the most recognizable faces in American chess over the past two decades. I mean, her allegations and others in recent years were reported by top chess bodies, including the U.S. Chess Federation and... I do like this. The powerful St. Louis Chess Club. Isn't it great? Uh, which failed to act or effectively investigate when first learning of them. Wow. That is amazing. And who knew about the power of the St. Louis Chess Club? So we'll link it. We'll link it so you can read up on the latest out of the chess world. Well, my favorite is just I, I want you all to listen to what the, the perils of podcasting. This is a pair of podcasters. <laughs> in Houston were, well, here, just take a listen. You're so quiet in here. How did I... (laughs) (laughs) So great. Okay, no one was harmed. No one was harmed in that. Don't worry. It was scary. Don't try this at home. But all I can say for you, Eliana Johnson, is that... We are safe here in the basement of the American Enterprise Institute, and there will never be a speeding vehicle to come in when we're trying to fill an awkward pause. Not that we would ever have an awkward pause. Well, that is the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Chicola. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Six it's stars. It's a huge help. Yes, yeah, six stars at least. Just search for Wretches. <laughs>